Hi, my name is Ali Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, it's Derek Graham. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're, you're listening, listening to, to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, Snow the Goalie, the People's Podcast, the Players' Podcast, the Prognosticators' Podcast, the Presidential Podcast, the Pampers Podcast, the Pedialyte Podcast, heck, it's the Pronger Cast, the Prop Cast, the Knubel Cast, the Patrick Sharp Cast. Well, not quite the Mike Keenan Cast. We're still waiting. The Colby Cohen Cast. Oh, yes! NBC Sports Philadelphia's own Colby Cohen. It's good to talk to you. That was quite an introduction right there. I did not know where you were going with it, but I will commend you for rolling with it and not screwing up. That was impressive. Thank you. Thank you. This is Colby's the only guy that I trust to uh, co-host this show, especially Anthony is, uh, he's off dealing with something. And we had, I don't, I don't know if I told you this, Colby. We, uh, we had Jeremy Roenick lined up for this week. Something happened. We're not going to get into that. We'll have a chat about that after we're done. But uh, we were supposed to have an interview with him earlier this week. And typically, I don't like to promote things until we have them recorded because you can get, you know, you look silly if you promote something and then it doesn't happen. We're in the process of trying to reschedule with JR. But, uh, you know, Anthony was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Nothing will go wrong. And I was like, okay. And then and everything went around. wrong. Oh, yeah. But it's fine. We'll get him. He agreed. It's fine. We'll figure it out. But Colby's he- here. Be- JR will do anything for Philadelphia. And it's funny because he only played here three years, which I didn't even realize that until uh, they were talking about him the other day and how he only played here for three. He loves this place. I am fortunate to be very close to JR. And he talks about Philadelphia like this is like the one of the best places he played. I mean, he loved Philly. He loved the Snyders. He loved the team. He loved the fans. So I'm confident that he'll he'll do it for you. He he just he loves this city and anything Flyers and Philadelphia related. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, we have a lot to talk about, but I you know we want to get into the votes that are going to be coming up here shortly uh, for the NHL's return to play. The CBA's out there. You know, a bunch of things that the the league and the Players Association have been working on in tandem and a bunch of votes coming up. There have been comments and quotes uh, um, citing anonymous player sources that there is a huge number of players that don't want to return to play. I want to get into all of that, but I'd be remiss if we didn't start the show with a bit of good news. God knows everybody could use just the smallest bit of good news, and we got it on Thursday when Oscar Lindblom well, it went public on Flyers Twitter that Oscar completed his chemotherapy uh, treatments. And I, I don't think that a lot of people know, but you happen to know Oscar Lindblom and, and you can speak to uh, some of what he's been going on through this. So this is going to be a nice opportunity. I think, you know, we talked about this back in February, like people don't get to know you. They get to know you as the guy on TV, but they don't necessarily get to know about you and what brings you into the industry and the kinds of connections you have with players. So I'm going to kind of sit back here. I'll ask you a few questions along the way, but 
you know, give people an idea of what the relationship is with, with you and Oscar Lindblom and, and then we'll kind of dive into things. Yeah. So, you know, I'd never, I didn't know Oscar, you know, previous to this season, really, we had crossed paths a couple times last year uh, because we live in the same place. And obviously he knows like I'm sitting on TV and I'm talking and I'm, I'm a part of the whole show, we'll call it. Right. And so, you know, there was always acknowledgement, but we never really got to know one another uh, until he got a dog. And when he got a dog, uh, him and his girlfriend got a dog, the dogs became friends, my dog and, and their dog. And so, you know, we started spending a lot of time together, whether it's in the dog park or down here or going for walks or whatever it is, you know, especially the last four months during this pandemic, because you know, you were pretty limited to what you could do for the last four months, except go walk your dog, go get exercise, go outside. So, you know, I've been really fortunate that I've gotten to spend a lot of time with Oscar, a lot of time with his girlfriend, Alma, together. And, you know, they're just, they're the nicest couple. They're the nicest people. Uh, seeing what Oscar has had to go through, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, and, and even not knowing him, when this whole cancer diagnosis really started, you know, you sit there as, a, as an athlete and you think, you know, why him? Like, why is he going through this? What he, he's, but what has just been so impressive to me and, and, you know, his attitude has never been bad. I mean, I've seen Oscar days where he just had chemotherapy and I've seen him two days later and I've seen, and I know he isn't feeling good, but he's always got a good attitude and, the amount of times that he has said to me, it could be worse. And he truly believes that. I think that he doesn't feel sorry for himself. He has no pity, nothing. His attitude is, we will get through this. And I can't wait to play hockey again. I can't wait to live my life again. It's more than just hockey. I mean, he's been uh, dealing with these chemotherapy treatments regularly. You know, obviously something I've never gone through. Um, I've had family members who have gone through it from all accounts, you know, talking to Oscar, it's really hard to function after you have chemotherapy for a few days, you're nauseous, you're tired, you're lethargic, but you know, here I am, I see him walking his dog every day. He's out, you know, we sit in the park, we chat, we talk about the team, we talk about the league, we talk about different things. And, you know, his mind is still so sharp and so still so engaged. Um, you know, it, it's been pretty, it's, it's definitely been a really cool experience. One of the only positives of this whole pandemic, getting to know him as well as I have and getting to see him and spend time with him and, you know, be able to talk to him about his treatments and, you know, what is his plan to coming back to hockey? Because look, this is a guy who was really on the cusp of, of making a name for himself as a very, very, um, reliable a good NHL player. I mean, a guy who is is better than good at the NHL level with very brief experience, a, a player that, you know, has top six potential and a player as a lot of the Swedish players are, is so good at, at the little things, at getting your feet up the ice, at uh, shielding the puck, at, at not over, uh, over handling the puck, you know, uh, just every team needs good Swedish players and the Flyers are fortunate to have Oscar and, you know, having talked to him a little bit. And, and I think the way that this season actually shook out and, and the way it is trending a later start for next season actually really benefits him because he's now cancer free. Uh, his treatments are over. 
And he's able to start, you know, thinking now about uh, getting back to his regular life, which includes training. And, you know, I know he's spent some time riding the bike and he, he started some physical exercise. He's been doing it for, for weeks now, actually, very light. Um, uh, you know, he has a bike in his, in his place where he lives and he, and he gets on it. And, and I, we all saw he was on the ice that day with the, with the team, which was just, you know, had to be the most uplifting thing for him, for his teammates, just for, I mean, I saw it on Twitter and, you know, like my cheeks got red because it was just so nice to see. You could see the smile on his face and he still had multiple chemo treatments left and he's out there smiling and, and. That's just who he is. I mean, I, his attitude is, is ultimately what's going to make him successful at anything that he decides to do because he just he has this ability to not feel sorry for himself. And, and I, I truly believe it's one of the reasons he's gotten through this and he's gotten through it so well. I mean, we've seen the photos. Um, you know, he, he's lost all of his hair, as, as most people do, but it just, it hasn't stopped him. I mean, it's, it's been really incredible. And, you know, I, I just, I'm so happy for him on a personal level, on a professional level. Uh, I told him, you know, kind of joking with him a little bit earlier, I said, you're going to score at least 50 or 60 points next year. You watch like your karma, your, your attitude. I'm like, I'm telling you 30 and 30 easily next season, you know, and he, he kind of laughs and jokes. He's like, Oh, all right, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I said, well, don't worry. I'll be on TV talking about it. So just make sure you give me something to talk about. So, you know, he's just, everything you read about him is true. You know, that's not always the case. And, and you kind of said this in our, in the introduction, you don't really get to know people. You think, you know, them. you see them on the ice, you see them on Instagram, you see me on TV, whatever it may be until you really get to spend time with someone. And I can tell you that everything you see and you hear and you read about Oscar uh, is, is true. He, his family is so supportive. They haven't been able to be here because of the pandemic, but his girlfriend has been here with him. She's so supportive. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's really just a pleasure and a joy to be around. And I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to make this connection and, and, you know, become friends. I mean, my dog just went through a really difficult time over the last two or three days, you know, he ended up in the hospital needing surgery. And, you know, this morning, uh, Oscar is doing a treatment for chemotherapy. And he's texting me asking me, how's your how's Brady? How did it go last night? His girlfriend last night at 11pm, if you guys need anything, just tell us what we can do to be helpful. I mean, they're just, it's, it's, he is he is as good as advertised as a human being we all know what he can do on the ice but as a human he's as good as advertised there's so much to dissect there i think what's happening right now if you can hear it you can hear thousands of flyers fans right now running out to pet smart uh to go find a new companion in the hopes that an nhl player in their neighborhood is going to become their best friend this is nice and the people who aren't watching this, we'll put this up after the fact, but right behind you is a sign that has a dog uh, right there. And oh, yeah, so, that's right. It's, yeah. It says it's, it's not a home without a golden retriever. So um, something my mom gave me a long time ago, and it's, it's made its way with me from a place to place over my playing career and now post-playing career. The fun thing, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, even 
even as somebody who like quasi covers the team, like I don't get to get on to practice all the time, right? I have a day job. I can't do that the same way that like somebody who writes for the Inquirer, for example, could, right? There's a certain rapport that you can build with players. There's a certain rapport that you can build with people who are around the organization. And then there's what you can infer from the way that people talk about the guy away from the ice or talk about the guy away from the locker room or when you see him and you see the way that people react. And I don't think in the two years that I've been around that team, there's been so many positive things said about a guy universally. I mean, typically it's normal if, if a third of the people in the locker room are kind of iffy about somebody, they might not come out and say they hate the guy or they don't like him, but they're not going to go out of their way to say positive things. And it, there's always dynamics. You're always sure. going to have locker room dynamics. So, and it's like that in right. any workplace. So to be expected, it wasn't even, you know, post-diagnosis that people would say good things about Oscar. This was a guy that, you know, even last year, uh, not this season that was just going on the year before, people always talked about like what a nice guy he is to the support staff, to the training staff, to equipment guys, like people that, you know, I think a lot of times the longer you get in the league, maybe you kind of take it for granted or some guys have always been told they're the best guy on their team. And so there's, there's not that appreciation. Maybe as a, yeah, a guy who's getting ready to retire, you have that epiphany where it's like, oh man, I didn't get to this point without all these other people. Oscar has always been the guy that people have, have always talked about in glowing terms. And then after the, the diagnosis, it kind of felt like as an organization, whether it was guys who are coaches on the team, people, you know, the equipment people, teammates, whomever it was, there was just this devastation in a way that I think kind of speaks to the guy that Oscar Lindblom is and the impact that he makes where you hear somebody has cancer. And I think anybody who listens to the show can, can relate to this. I mean, I think practically at this point, everybody has known somebody who has some form of cancer. Sometimes it's not as serious. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a, a real terrible diagnosis and you, you try to get through it. You hear somebody get a cancer diagnosis. And, and I think on some level, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of an attachment in this case because it's a player on your favorite team. But there's this, I, I felt like there was just this moment where it was almost a universal kind of pain, like almost a family sort of pain. That, that It wasn't just the Flyers either. And yeah. that's, that's what is so incredible about hockey and about the culture. I mean, you know, guys who don't even know him are reaching out and guys who don't even know him are reaching out to his, his teammates who know his teammates. Hey, listen, tell Oscar, you know, it's just, you know, there's, there's universal good guys and there's few of them. There's not a ton of them. Um, and he's one of them. I mean, it's, it's, you could go back and talk to any locker room he was ever. It's funny though, because the way he plays translates to who he is. He is a good teammate on the ice. And that doesn't mean he fights and sticks up for guys. It means, he will never put his teammate in a bad position because he makes a selfish play. He will never not go in and battle for a puck and leave his teammate out to dry. The way he plays the game is who he is as a person, which is, which isn't, you know, that's incredible. I mean, when, when, when Elaine Vigneault says a guy's a good teammate, it doesn't just mean they're a good cheerleader on the bench or it means he, he's going to, instead of trying to make that stick handle at the red line, he's going to get it deep because he's not going to put his line mates in a bad position where they've got to then back check, you know, like these things are there. 
there, there's some catchy phrases. He's a good teammate in hockey, right? Yep. What does that actually mean? Well, I'm telling you right now, that's what it means when you're talking about a guy like him. He doesn't say anything in the locker room. He's not talking before a game. He probably doesn't say two words in the dressing room except for the guys who sit on either side of him. But if you vote on who's one of the best teammates, I guarantee you he's at the top for those reasons that I just and that you know that I that I just kind of said and it just is who he is inherently as a human being. So, you know, I I love talking about him like it's like I like to like brag about how good of a guy he is because I've gotten to know him and you know, I'm again seeing him ring that bell and seeing that video you know, the world is so negative right now. And it's so nice and refreshing to see something like that because it almost gives you some hope that like there is some sanity and there is some normalcy. You know, he got through it and he, we're going to see him back in the orange and black at some point, not this season, but we will. And it's going to likely be next season. And so that, that just, it kind of brings you back down from the, the nightmare of a, of a, of a life that we're all dealing with kind of right now with all these different things happening that are just, you know, very different than what we're used to. So, well, it, you know, I even think back to, it was, it was the beginning of June. There was that site that ran the headline that he was done treatment. I was like, wait a second, hold on. That's news that the team would have put out, or that's news that he would have put out or his agent would have put out that didn't belong out there. Like something smelled fishy about it. And so we got the comment from the organization that it wasn't true and even the reaction to that, like a lot of people were like, hey, thanks for getting clarification. You know, thanks for getting that refuted because it would be a shame to believe something that's not true. There was one person on Twitter who like went after me and said, why would you even put this out there? Why? And then thankfully there were a bunch of people who were like, it will, cause you want to get the truth. And the guy was like, well, no, the world sucks so much right now. There's so much negativity. Let people believe in something. It's like, no, that's not how this works. When you're talking about a guy's health, I think it's obviously always really important to be, you know, not first and to be right. And we've talked about that a million times. Not you, You don't need to be first when you're talking about a player's health, a player's safety, a player's family, a player's personal life. You want to be right and you want to make sure you fully understand the situation. And I actually, for the most part, and and I might be a little insulated from it because I probably don't follow a lot of the some of the people I'm newer on the scene here but I I think for the most part I think everybody did a nice job of respecting his privacy um, I think for the most part you saw him kind of left alone after the statements came out early in this thing I think people you know didn't dig like you you know and and I I respect the the media and and the journalists and the flyers crews and the the beat writers and everybody who really did respect that and understand that uh, because I think it made the situation a little bit easier on him and his family uh, to deal with it and not have to worry about, you know, the day-to-day invasion of, of privacy uh, with dealing with a situation like that. So, you know, it was, it was a team effort, and it's, it's so good to see. Um, you know, I, it's, it's finding the right words to describe seeing him ring that bell would be really challenging. You probably need, like, Mike Tirico for something like that or Al Michaels. Um, but uh, you're not going to get it for me. That's a good job. That was on it, brand. It, it, Two NBC it, guys. Look at you. Well done. We're going to send this. I know who signs, I know who you know, signs the paychecks. We're sending this up the chain now. All right. That was a good <laughs> plug. Liked it. Um, you know, they always say that it's, 
you know, you could be, you could be somebody who's, who is religious or not, but they always say the idea of like things, tough things happen to good people because they can handle it. And going back to the first thing you said, it's a good human being, a very good human being with a great support system. And from a, what looked like a very bad diagnosis in December, we're sitting here six ish months later talking about the fact that this guy kicked cancer's ass. Now it will be a process. Obviously anybody who's known anyone with cancer, you know, there's, there's the down the line, there's the making sure that, that things stay on the up and up, but to sit here six months later and be able to celebrate this guy and, and his support staff. And by the way, the folks over at Penn cancer center, and for that matter, across the country, the medical professionals who are, you know, in the midst of dealing with, with COVID and people are working these ridiculous hours and crazy shifts. And you've got the nurses, you've got the doctors, you've got everybody who's preparing the rooms. I mean, there, there's so many people and it's like a tip of the cap of them too. Right. And, and so this is a great moment. It's excellent. We can be happy. We can find something to be smile happy. to genuinely smile about. And, and right now, Oh, there's more head scratching and head shaking going on than smiling. <laughs> yep. All right, so let's get into the next thing. But before we do, a moment to talk about our sponsor, Cinch by Amerigas. Cinch, a fantastic company. Colby, I don't know if you're much of a griller, but there's nothing worse than when you run out of propane or you realize you kind of shake the tank a little bit and you think, that's not a lot. I hope I don't run out. Well, now you don't have to worry about it. Cinch by Amerigas will come to your house. Go to cinch.com, C-Y-N-C-H.com, and use our promo code, It's Lit 5 for just $10. Cinch by Amerigas, they'll come out. They'll take away that nasty, old, decrepit propane tank. They'll bring you a new one right to your doorstep. Or for a $3 upcharge, they'll take it to the side door or even out to your backyard. You don't need to take it to the convenience store. You don't need to worry that it might be 20 years expired. Doesn't matter. Put the old tank out. They'll bring you a new one. $10 with the promo code. It's lit5. Cinch.com. C-Y-N-C-H.com. Okay. I want to be full of belief and love and expectations that hockey is going to come back. We all do. But there was a reporter in the past week who had us kind of feeling like that empty propane tank, kind of let all of the, the gas out, took the wind out of our sails and said that 75% of players in the National Hockey League don't want to return to play. Now, I sat back, I thought to myself, hockey, these guys, could it be, is it possible? Nah, your thoughts. Yeah, I... That was a head scratcher for me. And look, I, I certainly am not polling people because I have better things to do. But uh, I talk to a lot of guys who play um, just, you know, guys who I talk to on a daily basis. They're friends. They're part of my you know, family. And everyone that I speak to wants to play. Uh, I think guys were getting a little frustrated because they wanted to see this return to play details. I think they were using it as leverage to get an extension to make sure that escrow was under control for next year. And what I mean by that is from what we're hearing, there will be a cap on escrow. Uh, it's going to be 20% each of the next two seasons. And for people at home who are a little bit unaware, the NHL takes escrow out of every one of your paychecks that you get 
every two weeks when you're in the NHL. And it all goes into a pot. So at the end of the year, the league looks at all the numbers and says, okay, it's a 50-50 revenue split. We paid the players, we'll use even numbers, $100 million. So we need to make sure that we made $100 million. And if we did, we return the escrow back to the players. If we only made 48 or, you know, uh, or 99 million, well, we keep a million of the escrow. Just in simple, you know, that's how they explain it to us when we sit at those meetings with Don Fair. Um, so they got a cap on the escrow. There is an agreement to go back to the Olympics for the next two years, which was very important to players. Huge. Huge. The guys want to play for their country. It's important to them. You learn that at a young age of putting that. USA, that Canada, whatever your country may be, sweater on. So, you know, everyone that I talk to, their guys want to play. They're bored. They miss playing hockey. I mean, this is what you inherently know. Now, is there some, uh, some, some cautiousness? Is there some guys who are nervous? Is there some anxiousness? Absolutely. And that's normal because there is a lot of unknown with going back to play. And, um, you know, I look at what's being reported. The players don't want to play. It's not true. The players do want to play. Guys who play love to play. Everybody who couldn't skate for three months was miserable. You know, guys were miserable. They wanted to get back out on the ice. They probably hadn't had that big of a layoff in their, since they were five years old without skating. So guys were chomping at the bit to get back out. The minute players could get back out on the ice, wherever that may be, you know, like a guy like James Van Riemsdyk was in Minnesota and they, their, you know, phases were different and they were able to get back out on the ice almost five or six weeks ago. And those guys were out on the ice the day they were allowed to. And you know what? Yes. Was it to get back and be ready to play? But it's because guys love to play hockey. Guys love to be in the locker room. They love to be around their teammates. They love to win and they want to win. So, you know, seeing a report that 75% of the players, you know, I'd like to know what player, what you do. Did you ask four guys and three of them have wives that are pregnant and don't want to go somewhere? I mean, that, that very well could be the situation. Technically the math works. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a mathematician, but it, it works, right? So let me cite sources here. Kids, always important to cite your sources. Eric Engels, uh, who works for Sportsnet, um, covering the Canadians. So he, uh, he said, and this is the, the string of tweets, over the last two days, I've been speaking with players from around the NHL who are quite concerned about a return to play. I'm going to paraphrase some of the sentiments over a few tweets here. I want to stress, I spoke with requested anonymity for obvious reasons. One player said the majority of players do not want to return to play this summer, estimated 75%. Though they're concerned with the financial pitfalls of that decision, they're more concerned about risking contracting the virus or serious injury before cramming in the 2021 season. Uh, another player said the calls with the NHLPA have been a joke and that they have only revolved around the financial situation. Another player shared the following opinion after acknowledging that the players will likely vote yes uh, to the eventual proposal that gets brought to them. And the, the text says, everyone's going to play. No one is going to opt out. Playoff bonus will be higher than ever. It's free money if we play. Hockey is a different culture than other sports. No one is opting out. I want to get to that in a second. Uh, all other players I spoke with are frustrated about being kept largely in the dark and how they'll be able to safely resume play. All right, so let's take that a, a few different ways. 
I think it was like three or four episodes ago, Anthony and I talked about, you know, being at the negotiating table. Not everybody gets to experience that in life. Some people do. Anthony had been, you know, directly involved in negotiations before I had been part of like subcommittees that worked on it. Okay. It's understandable that some guys are going to feel like it's been a joke, right? Because if, if you're a dissenter in this, you know, whole proposal, or you're somebody who's maybe a younger player and, and you really want to have the answers and you don't feel like you're being taken seriously by your player rep or by the association as a whole, you're going to feel like it's a joke. You're going to feel like things have been pushed, that there's a, a certain agenda. A player mentioning that, you know, oh, well, it's a problem because all that's been brought up is money. Of course it has. Why wouldn't it? That's the main motivator here. Yes, I know that everybody wants to host, ho you know, hoist Lord Stanley's Cup, but like, let's be real for a second. There has to be financial compensation if you're going to put yourself at risk in any way, shape, or form. You can have the best bubble possible, but getting the finances in order is a critical thing because for some guys, sure, you're going to net millions of dollars in a year. For some guys, you're going to get one shot at this thing. You're going to get one shot at the NHL, at a real contract. And of course, you're going to want to try to maximize that in the best way possible. But I think what, to, to sort of dial back a little bit, you, the CBA was a big part of this return to play. And we, the players, the players wanted an extension. The league wanted an extension. I, uh, you know, lived a lockout. In my second year, it sucks. Nobody likes, uh, you know, labor peace in the NHL is the golden currency. I mean, right. you've probably lived lockouts as a reporter. I lived one as a player, a year where I had a very good chance to make the team. And, you know, then I go to the American League, I play half the year. Well, the lockout's over. I break my foot a week before the lockout is over. I, don't, I can't even go to training camp yeah. because, you know, and so. They suck. Nobody wants a lockout. The players wanted to go to the Olympics. There was a lot of things mixed into one along with the return to play. I think players, um, players want to win. Players want to play. I think the frustrations that whatever that, whoever that player was that is probably feeling is, is that you're normally in the locker room with the guys six of the seven days a week. And the night you're not with the guys, you're out to dinner with one or two of them. So you're talking about these things. The player rep is telling, you know, the guys who sit on either side of him in the locker room about, you know, a phone call or about, you know, this, or this is what we talked about in our meeting. And then it sort of goes around the locker room. And that's really how guys are kept up to speed. Right now, you've got Zoom calls and you've got player reps who might sit on a Zoom call. And then, you know, for example, James Van Riemsdyk was on the return to play committee, Right. And he also has a newborn baby. So when he gets done a Zoom call on the return to play committee, yeah, it's his job then to go and take it to the team and, and really more than just the team because he's on the return to play committee, but he's also got a newborn baby. Yeah. And, you know, he's not going into the locker room every day. And so he's not around the guys for four hours. So the communication is a little bit more tricky right now as it is with anything. So I don't think people were left in the dark. I think it was, you know, it's harder to communicate right now. It's basically just the team text, which is, you know, used for different reasons. You know, some of them are to come up with funny nicknames for reporters and some of them are to pass real news along. So do players uh, really you know, do that with nicknames? No, yeah. I can't, I can't, that's a thing. Okay. Do I, I have one. What yours is. Do I have one? So, yeah. no, Great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
you know, I think that that's all a part of it. And I think that the NHL did a really good job of keeping things under wraps. That's the one thing the NHL does over everyone else. You don't see a lot of things leaked until the 11th hour when pen is about to go to paper. Look at the disaster of a negotiations that the baseball just had. I mean, that was a disaster. And, and, like I, I was. It was just an embarrassment. Shaking. We we need I to mean, call it what it was. It was a sham. It was an embarrassment. I mean, it was a disgrace. Just, amount, it's a good way to alienate your fan base, right? There are no winners. There are no winners in this baseball no, dispute. Not, not good. So yeah. you know, you you the NHL keeps things quiet. There's a little bit of a lack of communication because guys are not in the dressing room together every day. Um, you know, so those are things that you have to take into account. And ultimately, what will win out is that guys want to play hockey. And the NHL is, you know, put a return to play in place. And there's no perfect scenario. And, and Adam Silver, and I know you want to talk a little bit about the NBA and you want to talk about this. But, you know, Adam Silver is a guy who I, I believe is a very sharp, smart individual. I, I think his pulse on his league is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, there is no way to do this perfect. We are going to have to wake up every day. We're going to learn. We're going to do our best to make it as safe as we can. But ultimately, we are not going to bow down to the virus and we are going to do everything we can to play safely. And I believe they're going to try. And, you know, they wanted to come out and announce Orlando a while ago, which ultimately I believe is coming back to bite them in the ass where I give Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and I give the players association, I give them a lot of credit because they waited till the 11th hour. And in the 11th hour, they changed the venue. That was the number one front runner because why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we do it in Canada? People listen more in Canada. Okay. There's less cases in Edmonton. It's just, it's why, why wouldn't they go and play there? I actually feel so much better about knowing it's going to be in Canada and not Vegas because I just know that it's just it's an easier sell to get people to do things the right way when you're there in America people don't listen well wear a mask, it's, it's well, protecting then people won't wear. well it's also protecting a massively popular sport in Canada right there's a lot of buy-in just you know in general uh, among Canadian folks but like you're also talking about protecting your your sport um, I got a little bit agitated because there, there was a, uh, a poll going on one of the radio stations and, and somebody said that they're not going to consider talking about hockey until they announce the hub cities because it wasn't a, a good enough scenario yet. Like you couldn't take the NHL seriously until they announced the hub cities. And my argument is essentially what you made, which is you could paint yourself into a corner with Orlando, which is what the NBA did. And in theory, if the NBA we're holding not just the players and the coaches and the support staff, but also the workers at the hotels, the restaurants, the arenas. If all of those people were being held in the bubble together, no one out, no one in, that's it. That's the only way to guarantee you're not going to have any confirmed cases. But, but, e- but even that, even but, that. But it can't happen. The NBA admitted it wouldn't happen. MLS, which is, by the way, also doing their return-to-play tournament in Disney at the same facilities, just the outdoor ones, they've already had an influx of cases from FC Dallas. I think they're up to nine players that have 
tested positive over the last few days. I think Columbus crew have also had a few like that one is currently, I think the, the one that could potentially blow up and like that league might not now start. And they thought they were making the same call as the NBA with, with the bubble. You can't do it. And by the way, I brought this up before you might not want to comment on because you've been in these positions before of being around, you know, teams and you know, that guys don't always make the best choices in life. But if you're going to try to tell a guy that like, hey, one of the hub cities is Vegas, have fun staying in your hotel room the whole time, sport, that ain't happening. No chance. You think these guys are really going to yeah. lock themselves in the room, go down to the bus, go to the arena, and go home? Hell to the no. But, but, but there is an onus, Russ, on the players. If this works, they have to be partners. And not just the players, everyone, the trainers, the coaches, everyone has to be partners here because people need to be responsible. I mean, you know, uh, I, I've talked to some of the guys who are back skating in their cities um, and they all told me the rink actually feels like the safest place because it's so controlled. Is it perfect? No, there's no such thing as perfect. I could walk by you on the street and you could sneeze and that's it. I got it now. I mean, that, 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 that's how it could happen. But they're controlling it as best as possible. And that's why I give credit where in some of these situations. And, you know, I've seen a lot of this media coverage that you're talking about and the negativity about it. And, it, I, and I scratch my head because here's what I can tell you. I want to go back to work. I haven't worked in four months. I haven't had a show or a game to call on the radio. Nothing. And so... I'm being as positive as I can about it because I want to work. I'm sick of not working. So, you know, I'm going to cover it from as positive as an angle as I can. I give the league credit for the way they've handled it. Uh, they waited until they had the last minute to make the decision. They made decisions based on real time rather than what was good four weeks ago, what was good a week ago, real time decisions. And They've arrived in a, in, in a pretty good way. And look, you look, Tampa Bay, three guys tested positive. And here's what they did. They tested everybody that day. They isolated the three players. They scrubbed the room down. They shut the facility down for 48 hours. They retested everybody. And that was it. Those guys were isolating. Nobody else had it. So it's not perfect because three guys had it. But they were all asymptomatic. Okay, which is lucky. I understand that's complete luck, but they're diligent. And that's the only way to get through this is diligently testing everyone, responsibility, accountability. A guy tests, you gotta isolate him right away. And and I believe that is what is the, the plan. And I think if we get through this, which I'm hopeful, and I know it's 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 an if, it's going to be because of that. And that's it. Because it's going, to be, it's going to be because of diligence and testing and people that are, you know, on high alert 24-7. And the players are going to have to buy into that. They're going to have to be partners in this thing. Because, and let me tell you something. No player wants to be the asshole that went out and did something and test positive and can't play. You know, you look at, like, what happened with Austin Matthews. Come, come playoff time. If you're Austin Matthews and somebody sees you walking around without a mask in a place you shouldn't, you're going to feel like a real dummy. And, and hockey players don't want to feel that way. They're smarter and they're more calculated and they're more team-oriented. And nobody wants to be that guy 
that got it because they were being stupid. Someone will get it, but don't be the guy who got it because they're stupid. Not in the playoffs. Not when every shift is so important. So I'm optimistic. I like the NHL's plan. I, I hope – look, if, if with the NBA, I mean, it's a whole different ball game. Half the players are opting out. They don't even want to play. I mean, those guys make more money than God, and now all of a sudden they don't want to play because they got paid all their money. Um, they all have their different reasons. They feel, well, I'm not going to play because I don't agree with the social injustices and this and that. And I think, well, if you have a platform, you should go play and use your platform to talk about the things you want to talk about. Get the messages out to people. Show those kids that look up to you that you made a commitment and you know, you're now going to use your platform to go and um, talk about things. Now, I understand there are certain players that have family things and they have reasons, and I totally respect that. If you have a, a son or a wife or whatever family member and it, it concerns you that there's, it's not safe, you know what? I tip my cap to you, do what you got to do for you and your family, and then that's it. And you move on and you get the next player because that's how sports works. It's on to the next player. I do not think any hockey players will opt out because I know that's the next question. Well, no, be, well, I want to throw the scenario to you. So the NBA there, I think it was Trevor Reza has like a, it was a, a battle a of custody, custody for his, for his kid. Um, Davis Bertans had some, I think he had a, a torn ACL at some point, but he's a stretch four. he's set up to probably make around 70 million in free agency. The wizards suck. They're nowhere close to making, I mean, they need a lot of things to line up to fall into place for them to, to make the, the playoffs and the way the NBA set it up makes absolutely no sense, but whatever he opted out because he wants to maintain his payday. Okay. That to me is the only one that's an interesting scenario. The hockey culture part tells me, no, a guy wouldn't do that. But if it were you, let me put you in those skates you could theoretically cash in pretty well in free agency this offseason. You could also go out and blow something out because you haven't necessarily given yourself the proper amount of time to get up to, to game readiness, to get up to game form, game shape. Do you risk it? Do you so risk it? If, if you asked me this question seven years ago, uh, I'm playing because you're a competitor and you're, yes. Is your payday important? A hundred percent, a hundred and fifty percent. But is is playing through a commitment that you made, a contract, being there with your team, all that, just as important? Yes. And when I sit back now, as as a thirty one year old rather than a twenty three year old, you know, I would be more analytical about it, and I would obviously think about it. But when you're a player and you're in your young twenties, you're thinking about a couple of things winning, playing well, you know, making your money, all those things. But, you know, the hockey culture is different. I think for players who are pending UFAs, you will not see a guy who's a pending UFA who already had a really good – look at – okay, Kevin Chattenkirk had a really good season for Tampa Bay. He's a pending UFA. Today he should have started his free agency. Uh, he took a – a team-friendly deal on a prove-yourself contract for Tampa Bay. You know, he's a good friend of mine. And you think he's going to say, no, you know what? I, I already had a really good year. I'm not going to go risk getting injured. No. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to win a cup. 
And he does not care the scenario. He wants to win a Stanley Cup. He wants his name engraved on that trophy. And that is the number one most important thing to him at this stage of his career. Where, listen, you know, he's, he's only got one, one more three, four-year four deal left probably. You know, he's 31 years old. He's been around the league. He's been successful. But, you know, that's, that's what I know his mindset is. It's I want to win. We have unfinished business. I don't care if there's fans, if there's no fans, if there's no TV. It doesn't matter. It's I want my name on the cup since I was five years old. And if I have a chance to do it this year, that's my goal. So the culture is, is obviously much different. Well, and I think when you loop that in with the importance of the Olympics being part of the, the whole overall agreement here is you want to grow the sport. And you're certainly going to do a lot to hurt the sport if you're a top player and you decide to opt out, right? And so I think there's a little bit of that that goes into this as well. But it is, it's, it's good to think that the NHL players are going to want to play and we're going to have 100%. Soon. And by the way, and it's, going to be, it's going to be weird with no fans. It's going to be weird for all of us, for fans, for broadcasters, for players, the noises. But you know what? When the puck drops and there's a guy standing next to you your instincts kicks in and your instincts since you were two or three years old and your dad or your mom put hockey skates on your feet, those instincts ultimately will win out. The playoffs will be as intense, as fun, as aggressive, as fast. They will be everything that we all want. And there will be more eyeballs on these playoffs than there have ever been on television for the NHL playoffs. And players know that. Players who are looking for contracts know that for next season. You know, players who feel it's their right, you know, at the end of the, you know, guys like Kane and Ovechkin, these star players who take it upon themselves to know I, it's up to me to grow the game for the players who are coming behind me. And, and those guys are so competitive, freakishly competitive, annoying sometimes when you're friendly with those types of guys. And every time you order a beer, okay, let's see who finished. Like, let's have a chugging contest. Everything is a competition. So when that puck drops, it will be a competition. Let me ask you this. I think this is maybe the last thing now. When it's is all it set- getting too dark, by the way? I, no, the I lights think- aren't. Okay. That's great. I'm just making sure it's you can great. see. I can't All right, because I can turn lights on anymore on the sign, but it's good. No, don't worry if about the, need, okay. don't worry about the light. Right. We're good. We're good. The people who are listening can't even see us. So, but now they can picture that the sun is beginning to set. What's off light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Colby Cohen is the sun. Good. All the Shakespeare fans out there. When <laughs> when all is said and done, the Stanley Cup playoffs happen. I'm not going to ask for predictions. Let me ask you this: one, uh, the NHL draft lottery having the top pick go to a placeholder team. If you're Montreal and you feel like you probably don't belong, is there a small part of you? I know like guys are competitors, but like, is there a small part of you that sits back and thinks, man, we could theoretically get the top pick in the draft. Is there, is there any guy on that roster who's at least letting that creep in? Like we could theoretically have some kind of reinforcements for the long term. It doesn't work for a guy who might be like 36 or 35, but for a 20-something-year-old guy who wants somebody to grow with, is there like a little part of you that thinks, man, top pick would be nice? So two, I got two answers for you. First answer is Shea Weber plays for Montreal, okay? You think Shea Weber 
won't punch any guy in the nose who has that type of attitude the first day or two of practice, oh, he will, okay? Because he is a mean SOB, and he will punch you in the nose if you act that way. Now, granted, that's one guy, okay? And he's the leader and the voice of that club. Claude Julien, another guy. He will not let players slack off for one and a half seconds, whether they're losing 7 nothing. Claude is a demanding guy. I spent a lot of time around him in the 2011 playoffs. When I got traded to Boston, I was around the team all the time. I was a, a, a grocery stick and a, and a press box guy, but I was around, and there's just – there's no way. Now, granted, could that leak into someone's thought process? I mean, people are human, but here's the other thing. Hockey's a little bit different than other sports in that you're really drafting prospects. Yeah, is the number one overall pick this kid, Lafreniere, is he supposed to be the real deal? Yeah, he is. But, you know, it's, you're still drafting 18-year-old prospects. We're not talking about the NFL draft where the guy who gets, you know, the number one overall pick, the quarterback, tat, or, or um, it wasn't tag Tagovailoa. It was because he got hurt. It was the other guy, the other quarterback, whatever. You're, you're, you're not getting that franchise-changing quarterback. You know, you're just, you're just not. You're not getting that Michael Jordan who just dominated for three years in college or however many years, I forget, but I just watched that last dance. But, you know, you're getting an 18-year-old kid. And, yes, 18-year-old kids can be good. You know, Patrick Kane was, was our number one overall pick, my draft. He was a, an impact player right away, but he didn't dominate the league his first year. You yeah. know, Crosby and Ovechkin are freaks. You know, they're beyond even, outliers. They're they, beyond. They, 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 you know, they're the exception to the rule. Yeah. And so, you know, even Austin Matthews, who was an impact player, but he didn't dominate the league as an 18-year-old. So, yes, can you get one piece that is going to be a centerpiece? But we both know in hockey – one centerpiece, you need three centers if you want to win. You know, you need a goalie. You need four good defensemen. Like, so it's just a different mindset. I, I think people get excited about the draft, but drafts in the NHL don't – one pick doesn't change a team. You might have a draft, you know, and, and you know, thinking about, uh, like, Provorov connecting. When you have a draft or two years of drafting where you hit on like five of your seven or eight picks, third, fourth, fifth round picks, guys like Oscar. Okay. I remember in Boston, Marshawn was like a third round pick and McQuaid and um, Tuka Rask. These guys were all boy. Chuck was traded for, but he was from that draft. And, and you start, you build a group of seven or eight players out of 12 picks that become good NHL players for you. That group, can usually complement those one or two studs. And that's how you win hockey games. I mean, the Flyers haven't made a draft pick that is like lighting the world Ovechkin style or Patrick Kane style, but boy, they got a good defenseman in Provorov and boy, they got a good player in Konechny and uh, boy, they got a good player in, in Lindblom. And, you know, you, 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 you look at Haig and then you, you start looking at some of this other depth, these good homegrown players that are now good NHL players that complement, you know, Kevin Hayes and Giroux, you know, Couturier, these guys. So I just don't think that the draft has that immediate impact where getting Lafreniere changes you from a dog to a contender right away. So, 
So will it be talked about? Will it be covered? Yes. But are players really sitting there thinking, we get this guy, we're going to maybe win next year? No, because it's just not realistic. And, and you've watched enough hockey, you've covered enough drafts, you've seen it, whether it's the Flyers or anybody else, Nico Heischer in New Jersey and uh, Hughes. I mean, it, it just it doesn't happen, you know? And I'm not saying those guys aren't good players or they won't be good players, but, you know, tanking for a player, unless it's Crosby or Ovechkin, um, and, and look, I don't know Lafreniere, if I'm even saying his name right. I, I, you know, he's got, a, he's got a, he's French Canadian and, and he's got a long last name. Make up rules for French. It's not even real French. Go ahead. My, my name, I'm bad at names anyway, but I don't know his game well. I don't. So I'm not going to, con- like, I just, I haven't studied it. I don't get involved in the draft. I really just don't. I worry more about the players currently, the minor league, the team. Um, but I have not heard that he is a Crosby or an Ovechkin. I have not heard that. So I just, I don't think that's, that's a case. Um, I think guys want to play. If if you're going to come back now and you're going to go back to your city, get ready, spend three, four weeks training, you want to go and win. I mean, you don't want to just be there for four days in, in that play in series and then go home again. Cause if you're going to go the, 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 the cliche is, well, we might as well win the whole damn thing as they, as uh, you know, they, in, in major leagues in the baseball movies, those, those, the Charlie Sheen, well, we're here. We might as well win, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I just, I don't think that's all that realistic. I think that's more of a headline and that's more of a, a creation. Um, but I don't think players are thinking that way. I, I just, I don't think it's realistic. How do you think the league's going to react if Pittsburgh ends up getting the top pick? Listen, I, I think it is what it is. He just Life. threw up. You guys can't see this listening. Colby just vomited everywhere, just like everyone <laughs> else listening. It would be the worst thing. You're, you know what? The but worst. it could happen. And, um, you know, I hope it doesn't happen because I want them to win because I want the Flyers to knock them out of the playoffs. And Ooh. I want to see them. I want to see a Pittsburgh-Philadelphia playoff series um, because the way the Flyers are playing – I want to see the orange and black. I want to see them beat the Penguins and beat Crosby and Malkin. Uh, that's what I would like to see. But, you know, there's going to be the conspiracy theorists, oh, a big market team's going to get it and all that stuff. You know what? It gives people something to do and something to click on. But it is what it is. We're playing and we're living in a crazy time period. There's no perfect scenario. Everyone will never be a winner. And, and with the CBA – I give the players and the owners credit because they could have done what baseball did and they could have fought over the escrow and this and that. There is no perfect scenario where everyone's happy. So this more than any other CBA, there's got to be give and take. And, and everyone's going to hurt, whether it's players losing 20%, whether it's owners who haven't been able to have their stadiums filled. Everybody is hurting right now. Nobody is getting paid. So collaboratively, where can we find that middle ground? And, and they did. And, and I'm happy. And listen, labor peace is a good thing, which means I know that at least I'll be able to work, you know, through the labor peace. Lockouts are scary when you work in the media. Not good sure. when you're a media member. They're not. Well, you know, labor peace is also good, especially when you get ready to renew those TV contracts or you're starting to, uh, to play that game. And of course, you know, it's only a matter of time before you, Colby, end up on, uh, you know, the big NBC. We start watching you on a Sunday afternoon. So it'll be something to, we'll see. We'll something see. to see. Don't forget about us, okay? Um, before we head out, 
we solicited a few things over on the Snow the Goalie Twitter account, at Snow the Goalie, just asking for your thoughts uh, on Oscar Lindblom and about the good news today. We had Mackenzie at Kenzie XZ who says, uh, thank you to the medical personnel. Your hard work and Oscars are what made this a success. Jerry Temple at Jerry Temple says, in the words of Bernie Perrant, it's a beautiful thing. Can't wait for his next goal at the Wells Fargo Center. The roof might literally get blown off. Hashtag Oscar strong. So I think that's a pretty good place to uh, leave it. Don't forget to go follow this man, Colby Cohen. He's over on Twitter. He hasn't been on a show in, what, four months? Follow the guy on Twitter. I guarantee you he's going to interact with you, but only if you tell him that you listen to him on Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. At Colby Cohen, 36. (laughs) There it is. In the meantime, thanks for checking us out. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Follow us on Twitter at Snow the Goalie over on Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie and Instagram at Snow the Goalie. For Colby, I'm Russ. Talk to you next week.